Welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. I'm Robin Ayoub, your host. Join me for captivating conversations with industry leaders exploring localization, translation, and global communication. Ignite your curiosity as we expand your horizons through these conversations. So let's dive in together into the Localization Fireside Chat. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. My name is Robin Ayub. I'm the founder of this podcast and this YouTube channel as well. This is a self-initiative. I started about seven months ago now. We're, I can't believe we're saying seven months ago, but uh, yeah, I started in April uh, this year, and we're still going, going strong at it. We do this podcast on a weekly basis, so welcome everybody who's joining us to view the video or to listen to the podcast. Welcome to back to the channel for our subscribers. Thank you for subscribing, for who are thinking about considering subscribing. We thank you in advance. Today, I'm honored and I have the privilege to talk to a somebody who is near and dear to my heart. I've known Andre Halagin for many years. I consider him not just a colleague, a part of my family as well. But we've worked together for many years, and I thought what a good fitting opportunity to be speaking today to somebody who joined the industry at a you know long time ago with me, worked together, and also where he is right now, such a success story. I love to flag that and highlight it to the rest of the career-inspiring individual in our industry and those who are thinking about joining the industry. I'm hoping of today's conversation will be a great example of a success story that we can tell others in in the future. So, Andre, welcome to the channel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time with me today, brother. I want to give you the mic, if you don't mind, in your own words, introduce yourself to the uh, audience of this channel. Thank you so much, Robin. I am so honored to be on your channel. I'm so excited about this podcast. I think it's going to be one of the special ones, if I can consider that, because of how much we share together in history and working together. And like you said, your family team are more than colleagues and working together. And I'm so excited to see how your channel is expanding and the level of the information that is shared. So yes, today I am Andre Palagin. I'm the CEO of Nations Translation Group and Language Marketplace. I sit as well on the board of directors of the Industry Association since 2017 and on other board of directors as well. Like you said, I started in the industry a few years ago, I can say maybe about 2010. And uh, over time and performance and focusing on what the goals are, I can say I'm a self-made CEO today. I'm very proud of what I've done and, and so glad to be here today. Oh, thank you for for the lovely introduction. And, and, you know, I remember back in the early days when you and I started together, we don't want to go down the memory lane too long. Uh, but you did not come from the industry, though. I mean, I in this channel, like out of everybody I've talked to, there's two categories of people joining the industry. One is by accident. And second is somebody went to university, studied to be in the industry in languages, etc. And they purposefully became part of the industry. In your case, it was sort of like you weren't you weren't in that industry. You were in different industry, and you uh, came to the uh, localization industry or transition industry, as that we call it here in Canada. Uh, can you tell a little bit about that? What what's the difference between where you were and where you are, and how did you find a the transition, and how do you find it today? Absolutely, I, I started my career in sales, and uh, at that time I was uh, very young to know what the future is hiding for me. Today I say I wish I know or I knew. And uh, yes, I was always trying to specialize in sales. I went into different industries, hospitality, telecom, 
e-learning and others. And uh, that gave me a lot of, you know, uh, knowledge about how industries and how business solutions work. And I can say the hospitality business, which was the first business I was in, in the hotel business, taught me a little bit about the etiquette and the sales as, um, uh, as an art, not just as a process. And uh, when I joined uh, the telecom business, this is where I started learning about business solutions, which today, you know, are core into uh, how we, we companies, you know, we promote our businesses and sell. And certainly there was an event in my life, and I think we both met at some event in our, both our lives. And uh, you opened the door for me to welcome me in the industry where I had no idea what the industry is about. I only saw the opportunity in languages. And, uh, and uh, that was just the beginning. And uh, yes, it's a, lot of, it's a lot different from where I started and where we are today in the industry. Back in the days, I remember the discussions about how translation and revision, how we to speak about what we, you call today, how the sausage is made. So we are, the focus was always, how do we make that sausage? Well, no one need to know, right? And it's not need to know. Like, don't get too much into the details. It is service and it's customized. Yeah. So, yeah. And over time with technologies, things has evolved differently. Right. You know, I, uh, I do recall like uh, you and I almost from the same era, but uh, we came across this industry early on and, you know, the evolution of the industry every year, there's something new every few months nowadays, there's something new. There's a lot of evolution that, you know, transformed the industry and the industry in general, and not talking about the few, the exception of the few, but in general, as an industry, there is a bit of a negative associated with change. People in general don't like change in the industry, as right. opposed to technology industry or other industry, automotive industry, etc. So most industries, they thrive on change, bringing a new model to the industry, to the market, or bringing a new product to the market, or bringing a new idea to the market. I found over the years that I've been in the industry is that there is a bit of a negative connotation with change when it comes to the industry. Now, there are those who are avant-garde and they, you know, pioneering and they're trying to do uh, things on the outside. But I find it like, I don't know if you agree, I found those individuals, they're faced with an uphill battle, try to convince people around them in the industry that this is, you know, this technology or this widget that I developed or this service that I developed has some merits. Like, not because people don't want it, not because the idea sucks. It's just no. because people are just not happy to change things. Absolutely. And uh, you know what? I mean, um, probably part of my success is I wanted to become more strategic in, in when, I, when I transitioned from being in sales to business development. And our industry is composed today of two main elements, and there's a third one. The two main elements, you have the profession, which is the translators and the linguists. This is the profession. And you have the other component, which is the service industry, because we're a service company. And the third component, which come, came, you know, later was the technology. And that's not new, but, you know, technology evolves. So the battle between serve, between profession, service, and technology, that's the, this is where the equation is. And companies who do actually succeed into building that perfect balance in line with the market evolution and where the, uh, the customers want to go are succeeding. And if you start, Playing differently in that mix, you may not end up having the same results. And I agree. So the technological part, well, we know every six months there's a new phone. 
every year there's a new car every you know there's a laptop so technology evolves at a second or every day profession doesn't evolve that fast and service changes with the economical factors so and we saw how services changed after the 2008 economical crisis we saw how it changed during the pandemic and how it's changing right now with the recession and the inflation so and this continues to evolve so that's my insight and Yeah, you bring up a very topic, very good topic, which is the economic impact on the industry in general, regardless of where you are in the world. And you know, it's there is this saying that says, you know, if the economy is going up, people need to translate or to, to localize their stuff and uh, their content. And if the economy is going down, they need to do more marketing to sell more to attract more revenue. So hence, you need to translate more. To reach different demographics, etc. It sounds like the industry is recession-proof, but we're not really immune to it. So, if the you know there is some tolerance, but you're right, there is a big economic impact on the industry as we move forward, and the, not just the economic impact I'm seeing as well. I mean, based on the conversation that we've been having on this channel, the technology impact on this industry is really becoming evident. So, you know, you and I have seen many technological waves that came to the industry back, right. you know, from the Logos days to, you know, the variety of technologies that came on TMS, you know, etc. But this one sounds like it's a game changer. <clears throat> you know, I'm starting to hear, you know, I start people messaging me like, I lost my job because of AI. I never heard of that before. I never heard before that somebody loses their job because we introduced a new technology. Now, there could be some people that are exaggerating it, etc. I have no idea. But we see several messages where people are saying, oh, I lost my job because of it. What's your thoughts on this whole technological yeah. advancement and the, you know, the, the industry in general, pros and cons, obviously? I, I can speak a little bit about the economical factors and from my observation and from some facts globally and locally. And I can speak a little bit about the AI and its impact on our industry. The economical factors today that we have are not only impacting our industry. So you look at the logistics, you look at the retail, you look at any, any industry, financial, it has a negative impact everywhere. You see layoffs at big corporations, whether telecom, technology, you know, finance, and including our industry. So that, that, that pressure that comes from the economy this time It is not only affecting us, it's affecting everyone just because we're in a cold recession, if you don't want to call it a recession. And next year, it's looked like it's going to be a tougher one because we're going to be in stagnation at least for six months. So this is why I can distinguish between the factors in the economy when they're only affecting our industry versus a global uh, effect. But also, there's another component in those economical factors that other industries recovered from and we didn't or haven't yet, which is pricing. Everything today costs more. You buy your groceries, it costs you more. Your gas costs you more. Your clothes, everything. Your toothbrush costs you more. But translation as a service, even, you know, look at all the services, financial, legal, everything costs you more. But the translation industries start, we, we keep on having pressure on pricing. Now, I'm going to move maybe to the AI and technology just to say that it is the AI the impact why the pricing is driven down. So, an AI is, is AI replacing the people. I have first something that I was at the OTAC about a week ago. And every time I hear the people talking about AI and I see the reaction 
from the people that are pushing back on that, if we I have called, people were clapping, I heard. <laughs> yeah. So if if artificial intelligence was called marshmallow, probably we would love it. But just because it's called artificial intelligence is like someone competing with me or some technology competing with my intelligence. I feel it's a threat and it shouldn't be. Anyway, but just to say, you know, we've seen the evolution in technology from machine translation and its all versions to the AI and how everyone was feeling the threat that's going to replace their, their jobs, and it didn't. Now, in the context, it could be a very small context where someone feels, oh my gosh, yes, I lost my job because the company replaced me with an AI. When we look at the type of content and amount of content to be translated around the world, we all know and it's not by you and I. This is, you know, global stats. There's no human that can translate all the content in the world. And there are different categories of content. There's content that can be run through machine automatically. There's content which is the, the biggest part of our industry today, which is the post-editing. And there's the specialized content where really this professional linguist and translator is performing. So if I am positioning myself as a company or as a translator, as a linguist, in the wrong category and expecting a certain outcome, it might be wrong. So if I want to get the outcome of being a linguist who's specialized, who's paid, you know, I don't know if we if it's either per word or per hour, a highly remuneration, I have to specialize into that type of content and not in everything. And if I want to be into the industry where I can make volume of business and be part of the bulk of that business, which is the post-editing, I have to get specialized in post-editing. And machine is not an area where we should be competing as humans, as translators, but companies do if they have a diversity of services. So that's my observation. AI is going to continue to, I don't know, but probably in five years, we're going to, now we have, we'll talk about Gen, Gen AI, but maybe in five years, we're going to have a new product. We want it. We want this to boost our performance and our, our productivity. That's what, can, that's what technology does. It boosts productivity, it boosts efficiencies, it boosts profitability, it, it keeps us faster, more efficient, but it doesn't replace us. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the, you bring a very good topic around, you know, the, you know, the idea of naming I marshmallow or something sweeter, right? So, yeah. But, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, translators, project managers are all human like we are. And, you know, I have not met anybody who wants to produce more for the, you know, and, and you, know, it, you know, exercise a little bit more effort to make more in terms of if I can do less and I'm okay, why, why are you pushing me now just to use metrics? If the standard is like 1,500 words a day or 2,000 words a day and somebody's being asked to now to produce 5,000 words a day, they're not happy about it. Why would they be happy about it? Like, that's not, that's not the norm. So these are different messages in the industry. In our company and our resources as freelancers, you see them very highly productive because we provide them with the right tools to be productive, to be able to perform the four and five, and even I see seven and eight thousand. I'm just, you know, sharing really what I see. And it's not like if you see seven and eight thousand words of bad quality. You really see good performance in that. Certainly, you know, there's a process and a lot of tools to yeah. be involved. Now, I can tell you, I have freelancers, and I'm proud to say that. They make over $200,000 a year. And a freelancer, just a, a single person, not a company, right? So that means despite 
the pressure on price, despite the post-editing pricing, which is different than the translation, you can mm -hmm. still be successful and grow and make money if you are intelligent to follow the industry. Again, not everyone is meant to be into that highly productive area. I can select and choose to be in an area where, you know what, I want to be, you know, that expert that after 20 years or 25 years of being a, a translator to be crafting that translation and getting paid a highly. And this is, we see this in the travel industry. We see this in the banking. You Today, if you want to book your vacation online, it will cost you less than calling and reserving because a human costs a lot more today. And it's exactly the same thing in our industry. It should be transforming that way. You know, I'm just referring to a, a conversation that I, somebody told me about it. I wasn't there, but at the OTIAC, when somebody mentioned that we're not going to force people to, you know, produce more, you know, we're going to do like, you know, we're not going to push you. And, and it, when, when the word AI came up in the negative connotation by the speaker, everybody was applauding and humming and hawing and you'd say, oh yeah, kind of thing. There is a general sense, and I'm, and I'm going to separate a little bit here between what the Canadian market thinks of the new technology and the new tech versus the rest of the world. The rest of the world view, you know, the tech industry in when it comes to, and that's my own perception, when it comes to translation and when it comes to language services as a ability to do more, as you mentioned earlier, to produce more, to be more profitable, to, uh, you know, allow for more content to be translated. And in Canada, it sounds like there is a pushback and, and I, you know, not visible. Nobody's going to come out and say, oh, I'm going to push back against technology. But there, I'm just talking about the general sense, not yes. specific to one individual. The general sense is technology is bad. I'm going to, nothing can be done like the way the professional translator get it done. But that is changing. You know, that's changing. More and more translators in Canada are waking up to the idea that I can use tech to do more, to produce more. But that's percentage wise, in my opinion, still less than the traditionalist. Yes, in our yes. in our language industry in Canada, am I correct or by my assessment? You are, you are, and 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 just a little bit more to you know complement what you said. You and I will work together at Lexitech and CLS and Lionbridge, so we we've seen different models. <laughs> and I do remember the days where Have a good time together, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when when you know we were promoting the company, were promoting machine translation in Europe, but in Canada was a taboo. We weren't allowed to do that because it will actually really made us lose our business. Similar to the translation bureau, I've watched the CEOs, and I know when they it was an early idea to speak about machine translation. <laughs> right, so it, it shouldn't be a taboo, and uh, and I know like uh, the industry how it changes because of the its three main components: the profession the service and the technology, that balance is uh, quite uh, delicate. So you can see technology, but depends on the technology you have. I'm not going to call, I'm not going to say bad technology, but you have technologies better performing than others. I can tell you our team, they're loving the new technologies. They're embracing that change. You could see that in their success in their performance, whether they are translators or revisors or they're doing proofreading or they are content, you know, even, you know, recycling content. You see that how they work. They're embracing that because I work really hard on finding and providing the best tools for them so they can enjoy. So when you see a technology that gives you 93 and 92% of accuracy, you're happy to work with it. But when you find that it's going to give me a lot more work and it's giving wrong translation, and I know that. I heard those comments at Otiak, 
it is true. So when I have to take that challenge, yes, I am not happy with, to work with technology. But people shouldn't be taking a sample as the reality because you can buy, and I'm not, I don't know, not, 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 I don't know much about phones or cars, but you can buy today an electric car that is way less performing and reliable than another one. So if you're driving a good, reliable one, it's an electric car, it has a long range, you're happy with that, you're proud to have it. But if you have a car that gives you a headache and it's a lemon, you're not going to be happy. Same thing with technologies. Right. Absolutely correct. Now, shifting gear a little bit, because I've done, I guess, like about three podcasts now on the topic. There's a big demand for it, it sounds like. Rebranding. So yeah. I've done on this channel two podcasts on rebranding, and I've done a guest as a as a guest speaker on another podcast on the rebranding topic. And you have been through rebranding at Nations, because that's not the original name of the company when you took over. The question is, A, can you talk a little bit about rebranding? Why? And what's the lesson and what's the benefit that you think you got to be generating? I mean, I know it's been a year or two now going through this. Yeah, almost two years. So what is the learning? So let's say, let's start with the why. Well, certainly the rebranding that I've done was a big risk, you know, forgetting or trying to, you know, move from a company who had 30 years of history operating under a certain brand you know, with a positive and negative. You know, every company has their positive and negative reputations. And starting something new, you know, it's a big challenge, a big risk for companies to do so. But what was the purpose for me of rebranding is lessons I learned in my previous roles when we worked together and elsewhere. And branding is, is diamond. Your company reputation is diamond. Um, and why I'm saying this, I'm just going to give a sample, a simple example. I think I mentioned that you before when we used to chat together. You go to purchase a phone, right? And they're all good brands. I'm not saying there's a better brand than other, but it depends how they present it to the market. You will see an iPhone and a Samsung, an Apple and a Samsung. Sometimes one or the other is a dollar more than just taking the example. And you would still pick the more expensive for some reason. Why? Because the brand makes sense to you, it, you connect, you correlate to the brand, and that's why you purchase. And we've seen in the past where we work for, you know, local big companies or even giant companies in the industry, and you would lose on a fraction of a cent, and you would say, if I had that perception into that customer mind that I am the brand that you should be dealing with, you wouldn't mind that fraction of a cent. So these lessons that I learned in my past experience made me know the value of your brand and what you represent. And you should be up to what you're trying to represent, right? If you want to say, I am a brand, I am the best in class in service, you better be providing the best in class service. Otherwise, you cannot pretend to, be, to do so. Not just words. Yes. Now, all the aesthetic part of the rebranding, which is the logos and all that, are important. It's good to have a story in those logos, which yeah. we did. And mm -hmm. in, in my case, I wanted to keep the identity of the company that started, but also the new DNA of the ownership, which is the indigenous ownership, and the future of the company, which is more, you know, the next generation, the advanced. So that was the design behind of our logo. So the aesthetic part is important. Mm -hmm. branding and sending the correct message, the compelling message to the market and working toward those goals is key to your success. And to us, it gave us 
the positive results. We grew and expanded yeah. based on those. So the company, just for the audience, the company was called Masha Krupp before, all right? The, yes. And Masha now Krupp. it's called Nations, right? Right. Okay. The Krupp Translation Company, I think it's called, right? And now now it's called Nation Translation. The Nation reflects the indigenous heritage of the ownership of the organization, correct? Absolutely. So Nations represents, as in, if you, you can take it, it's the First Nations, it's the Canadian yep. Nation, and it's all nations, United Nations, right? So it represents everything. And when you speak about languages, what's most in languages than nations, right? So for sure. Now, the question that comes up in the rebranding, which always comes up, and I'm not sure if you had to do this, but how did you, you know, come in to the new name? Was it a, a an outside consultant that ha- helped you? Was it your team that collected yeah. ideas? The owners, yeah, the, the new owners of the company or the shareholders and Scott, who is our chairman, changed the name to the nation thinking about the First Nations. But the company name was is still today registered as Nations Translation Group. Okay. What I did, I took the word nations and highlighted to make it the brand, right? So when you speak about this company, it's nations. The full entity name is Nations Translation Group. That was... And, uh, I I kind of liked less the abbreviation going and calling it NTG. That's how they used to call the company NTG. So what's NTG? You know, nations. You've got a good branding name right there. So I saw that opportunity and invested in it. That's what I did. Oh, great! So the the idea came from you to concentrate the word on yes. concentrate on the word nations, which is brilliant. To be honest with you, you're right. It it does it does encompass like. The indigenous side of it, it does encompass everything, really. Languages are nations, to be honest with you. That's right. That's right. Now, what are the learnings that you that you think, okay, if I was to think about it and reflect back, I could have done something a little different, a little bit better. I would have enhanced it. I would have, been, you know, from, from your perspective, the positive and the negative. Yes. Honestly, I had great partners, so I did not do the branding on my own. And that's all what I do at the company. I always consult and I get the, an expert advice just to make my own decision at the end. But it's very, very important. And I had a great partners working with us on the rebranding from the modeling to the shaping and everything. But part of the rebranding idea is also remodeling the company, which was the major effort that I've done. So taking a company from what it used to be and its whole service offering, its whole structure, its whole processes, remodel everything. So if I think, and, and I'm proud to say, I've done that in a very, very short time. I've, you and I worked at companies and we saw rebranding taking sometimes two years and more. I've done that in a really fraction of time. Even when we acquired another company, and so the uh, the post acquisition process, I'm so proud to say that we, you know, did that in a matter of a month. There were still, you know, pending stuff, but the majority was done in one month. But anyway, so the lessons that I can say, learn, you have to have your vision, your roadmap, which are very, very important. So you need to know, and this is why we do the reverse engineering. So you start from where you want to get. And you build your milestones and you work toward them. Sometimes, and it depends on how much budget you can spend. I had a very, I actually I had no budget. <laughs> I had to come up with some ideas to absorb that budget and not to impact so much your financial reporting, your PL. 
But yes, so certainly the more that you can invest, the better the result that can be. But there's a certain calibration that you need to do. I, I cannot say that we've done mistakes. I can say maybe we can have invested a little bit more into some more branding, like outgoing branding. Today, social media is very strong, although our purchasers, like if you think about businesses, business are not on Instagram. They're on LinkedIn or somewhere else, right? In the past, they used to, you know, people used to read business magazines, probably today a lot less. But as individuals, we are all on Instagram. So visibility on social media is very, very important. Well, one of the things that we're hoping to achieve today is to give you that little bit more visibility and give nations oh. a bit more visibility. I am the president of the Canadian Language Industry Association, as you know, and it's my honor always to flag Canadian companies on this channel to the rest of the world. Our audience is global, and I'm hoping that through this messaging that we're doing together today, that would allow for more people to discover who, you, who nations uh, company is, and hopefully it allows for people to reach out to the company through you, through the team that you have, and uh, do some business together. Now, one of the question is for those who don't know the company itself beyond the name, can you give us an idea of you know the structure of the company, employees, services, locations, um, sure. those kinds of things? So, if people wants to reach out to you, at least they have some context. Sure. So today, what we are, we are a language service provider. So we're not in the longer translation agency. We provide really service like from content curation to, you know, we're dealing with some customers on artificial intelligence as well today. It's still a small component of our business, but that's what we're doing. And including e-learning, e-commerce, like we do projects for customers building e-commerce websites, e-learning modules and all that, and certainly with the translation and localization. The the aim of the new structure of the business, well, when I started, everything was, you know, handled by a one-man show, let's call it this way. I needed to, in, in order to grow the business, and you and I, we've seen this when you are at a five or $10 million company and you want to become a 20 and a 30, it's different games and different structure. So I needed to build that corporate structure at the business where you can, it can allow you to expand and grow and, and remodeling service. So our service offering are based on content strategy and your content goals. So we're not just offering transitions and revision. We're offering you the end product that you're looking for. So this is the this is the business model that we have. And what we aim to do, and that was my aim, is because I took a company that was still operating at a basic model, I did not want to catch up to the industry. I wanted to go a little bit beyond. So I said, okay, what's next? So this is why I'm aiming. I mean, the whole everything we've done is to become the next generation in the industry. Now, we're still not a, a, a huge size of a company, but as for the Canadian, I, I'm not going to say we're the largest, but we're among the top largest companies right now in Canada. And uh, the goal is really to grow to a certain level, which is a global level, to, be, to, to become at the top 10. We already made the top 100 list, which was an achievement, quick achievement to be done. We're based in Ottawa. Our headquarters is in Ottawa. And uh, we have remote offices for our team to work, but mainly the headquarters is in Ottawa. And uh, yeah, so we are, what, what makes us a little different from other companies, besides of being content strategists, we fill in also different areas of their business. We are considered by many corporations who are our customers today as an ESG partner, very strategic for them, very, very strategic. And, and this is something I think I've spoken before about 
at Global News, at uh, Financial Post, at the PDC, and it's just because how we positioned our business and how we worked our ESG, which is very, very important, highly suggested for our businesses in the industry to do so. And also, you know, we have a lot of value-added services because we don't only offer translation. We have interpretation in all its formats. And that's just, you know, in a nutshell. So now if people want to reach out to you, I guess we're going to put the website on the screen here. You you know, what's the website again? It's nationstranslation.com. Okay. Yeah. And, and we have language marketplace if they're looking for interpretation business, languagemarketplace.com. And remind me, Language Marketplace is a company that you acquired a few months ago or a year ago. How long Actually, ago? In five days, we're going to be celebrating one year. One year. Oh, excellent. So does that mean part of your growth strategy is that combination of two, organic and acquisition? Am I 100%, correct? 100%. 100%. What slows us down this year were two factors. We were in an acquisition mode this year. But the uh, recession and the inflate or the interest rate hike were two factors that we thought that we can uh, just hold on this year. And again, sharing some insight from the industry, a lot of LSPs this year are facing either a revenue decrease or a challenge to grow, and interest rates are high, higher. So we expect that 2024 and 2025 will be more advantages for an acquisition versus this year because the factors, the you know economical factors from interest rate to company values will be a little different. We're not aiming for a certain size. We have appetite for small, but also even bigger than our size. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things that we talk about on this channel is enough interviewed, as you can tell from the channel, we interviewed a lot of people in the M&A business as yeah. the latest conversation that we had with Benny Orr from Tel Aviv and, you know, various other people, Michael, et cetera. So they're, few people on the on they came on the channel talking about M&A and and the question always is why so and when it comes to you know buying a company the question is why so in your perspective from your perspective what is the answer to the word why when it comes to considering buying a company so I'm going to answer on my behalf. I know the shareholders probably they have a different perspective. No, I mean, just we're having a conversation. Two guys having a conversation over coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so there are two main things when you acquire, you know, bigger companies. Well, we, we or, or companies. Our industry is so much diversified into small businesses. It gives the opportunity to grow and make you, you know, be positioned, not just locally. Like when you think about acquisition, you think about going global. Should be that way. So that allows you to even grow much faster and in a faster time. Now, what is the end goal as a shareholder for me or as, as, as for a shareholder is the company value. So, and your, 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 your value multiplier, mm-hmm. the appetite for your next phase in your, you know, post, you know, you would look further from that acquisition. So what's next? Mm-hmm. Either could be looking at a next level, you could be looking at selling, you could be looking at merging, you know, there's different possibilities, but mm-hmm. certainly you're looking at value. That's so right. this is, and, you know, in, in, in specifically for our business, which is a little different from the others, we are in an indigenous owned business. There aren't indigenous owned businesses of our size. Right. And if we grow it to the level. I think we're the only one 
if from you're right in, in from a from a size perspective you're the yes. only one there may be like a few other smaller ones yes there are there are there are smaller ones of course but i'm saying of our size we're the largest indigenous I think in North America, I'm not sure about the global. I have no insight. You bring up a very good point on ESG. Like you can partner with anybody who wants to fulfill their ESG, you know, obligation. So you become a very valid partner for that. Absolutely. And becoming a larger company, indigenous owned, playing among the top 10 is a big achievement for the community. And it's good when you look from the, and when you look from the corporate side of that, it is really the road to our reconciliation with indigenous uh, communities. That's right. Absolutely. You've absolutely have a very valid point. And the, and the point here is that, uh, you know, throughout the career that I've had in this industry, we've always been looking for who is the next indigenous company in the language industry is going to pop up and rise. And here's one. Yes. <laughs> very valid and very timely. Where we are right now in our social and economic cycle in the country it's very timely to see nation rise up to become an indigenous representative company who is in a, to the audience, you know, I highly encourage you guys to reach out to Andre and his team. If you want to explore discussion further for partnering, for working together, for creating ideas and opportunities in the indigenous realm, not just in the indigenous realm, indigenous realm could be the entry point, but there are a variety of other things that you guys can do together. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm certain of that. Um, I really there's a lot Robin. of creativity around that. So I really appreciate it, Robin. I really appreciate that. So on on that on that note, the the second conversation would be uh, is around the people. You know, obviously our our industry is very labor intensive, as you know. We've we've addressed it from you know the beginning, the middle, where we talked about technology acquisition, growth, etc. You have a team. You manage a team internally. We all do, but how do you find that? I mean, I know when you we work together, yeah. uh, you had a little bit of responsibility on managing smaller teams and the sales side of things. But now that you're managing a many more headcounts, how, how how are you finding that personally, professionally? How are you finding it? So it's different and delicate. But working with you and having a mentor, someone like you in uh, the beginning of my career gave me a lot of knowledge and now i have to say and and again for the audience robin saved my life not not like it's not i'm saying this as a joke or he really literally saved my life when i had a stroke driving on the road coming back from quebec city robin and i he took me to the hospital 11 hours i was never forget that man that was scariest moment in my life it had been my last day right really so I owe Robin a lot on that. So, and uh, yes, managing today, certainly creating a structure to help you manage is the recipe today. And you need to have a good synergy between your management team. To create that, you have to put your culture in the company and your mindset in your company. Because uh, I, when I walked in, I'm not saying that the company didn't have a good structure or a good team, but the, 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 the inherited culture of the company, the, uh, the, the know-how, the uh, like today, my team, they know how I think. There's always a better way, to, you know, to do it. Just find it. I didn't. I wasn't the one who said that. That was Thomas Edison. But my team today, they always know and think that there's that there's a better way of doing the work. You have to find and do it. So, but creating that synergy helped me really manage this team and also the cultural part of it, which is you need to show respect and acknowledge the effort of every single 
employee and staff member that works for the company because it's not only my success. They bring the success to this company, same as our partners, our freelancers, and, and our supporters. So it is really changing. And I can tell you from when I started, I feel like people were a little bit shy or scared to share their thoughts. Now, on a weekly basis, I get some email either from an internal member, staff member or from a freelancer telling me how proud they are to be working for us and how they think my leadership is helping them into growing their career. I promoted so many people since I started. I saw potential in people, and that's how people now, they're opening their eyes to say, okay, well, I can do a lot more. And that make your team work supporting you and I am not behind them. I am in front of them. I'm there to serve everyone to, to, to succeed. So the so I appreciate that. And you know what? You bring a very valid point in terms of in terms of leading by example, in terms of promoting from within, empowering people, and opening the lines of communication. Those are the characteristics of an, an excellent management style, if you will. You know, the back in the days in the in the 50s and the 60s, those styles are long gone. Yeah. And they don't, they don't exist anymore, especially when you're working in a very sensitive area from a resourcing perspective, which is the capital region. You know, the capital region is known to be sensitive when it comes to resources because people have options. People can go find jobs elsewhere and you manage to keep them around, keep them in your, on your team by having a different relationship with the, with the team than other management styles that could be introduced which I'm glad they're no long gone now. Every, so, sing, every single person, Robin, in every company, they have skills. We just have to peel off and understand. Diamond and, in the rough, man. Diamond in the rough. Yeah, that's right. You, know, you just have to polish it a little bit. That's right. <laughs> so based, based on this, so the last question, and then we'll, we'll do the uh, closing remarks. What's next for you? It's a good question. And <laughs> my consulting partners asked me this question uh, about a couple of weeks ago. So what's next? Like, you know, where are we heading? I, and I, I addressed that to the board meeting with the shareholders the other day. And I got the answer. Maybe I'll, it's too early for me to share that much. But uh, it could be, you know, at taking that company after we achieve our goal to the next level where also my role will become a lot more than what is today within the company and with the company mission for the future. It could be that I could be somewhere else. I don't know, but I know I am, and you know me, when I put my my dedication to something, I'm married to it until, you know. It's done. Exactly. So uh, for now, that's how I feel. Uh, you know, I, I work as uh, here as I'm staying forever. But in five years and 10 years, I cannot predict. But the next for me, I mean, for nations, the next year or two years, if I want to just mention the next uh, short term, we are upgrading again some of our technologies, you know, taking new tools, something really advanced. Like, again, as I said, we're the next generation. I want to be testing always the latest of the latest and see how this works before we adapt it fully. So like generative AI and so on. And it, the, all the technologies that we apply, it is not to produce our work, but it, it, it's to replace the clerical work that our team does from entering data, from saving files, from right to delivering, from invoicing. So really automating the parts that the human really is not like what we should be doing today. And they could focus simply 
on their expertise. If I am a translator, if I'm a project manager, if I'm a in finance, if I'm an HR, to focus on where I do well, do better, the best, basically. Absolutely. And you know, you reminded me of uh, you and I've talked about this before many years ago. Uh, I just have to mention this. You know, instead of being the process or inside the process, you become outside the process, watching the process go by. Absolutely. And, and as we, as you noted earlier in this conversation, that content is growing crazy. We don't have enough people to do the tasks that we want to do when it comes to transformation of content, transforming the content. And therefore, you need technology to support the, the area. And I always said on this channel, most technologies are focusing on the productivity of the translator, rightly so, because we have content to be translated. But there is a huge missed opportunity on the project management side, on the uh, clerical side of things that a, a localization firm do, does and do today. 19,000 firms around the world. 90% of the hires internally are project managers because the rest of the world manage the language part, the translation part outside of their organization. So what's left is the clerical part interna internally in some cases. Exactly. And those are the ones where we see a huge opportunity right now in improving that. Exactly. Just last word on that, Robin, especially when you have a large in-house team. So it's when you work in a different business model, when you outsource a lot, this is something maybe you can't control that much, but when you have an in-house team and in-house production. So I can give you an example from where I started to where we are today. Our product managers tripled their productivity rate, tripled it. In our translation team, our production team, they doubled. So you can see how this can expand in companies and also for individuals. They are so proud of themselves, of their achievements, how they progress from being at this level to be at that level right now. So they are, they are, they have valuable skills today versus just, you know, anyway, just to mention that as a last word. Absolutely. You're no, you're very good. Because people want to improve. Generally, people want to move forward. Nobody wants to go backward. And you, you give them the tools to allow them to do that. They must be happy with what they're doing. At the end, I'd like to uh, thank you, Andre. Do you have any last comments for me before I uh, close the uh, chapter for today? I have wishes for you. I don't have comments. I have lots of wishes for you personally. I have a lot of wishes for your podcast. Is it successful? I can see the number of viewers rising time after time. I really enjoyed uh, the other podcast that you've done. And uh, I can just but see you succeeding in life uh, and in your career, Robin. I thank you so much, Andre. You know, we do have a special relationship together. I want you to consider this channel is your channel. Anytime you want to come back with any announcement, any discussion topic, you're welcome. We are approaching 80,000 views currently on the channel. And we're averaging close to 2,000 views per, per video, which is for localization. People may sound like, you know, oh, you don't have enough views, but for localization, that's a breakthrough. Small industry. That's a breakthrough, to be honest with you. And I say that with all humbleness because I'm not saying that in any, you know, any pride way. No, that's, that's different. The reason I started this channel, because I noticed there's an opportunity to have an honest conversation, unscripted conversation. And not trying to sell anything, but just trying to tell the story of various significant individuals who are part of this part of this industry. So it's self-started, not influenced, independent, and just me doing this as a part-time. Like, who wants to spend the weekend editing videos? I do that. <laughs> well, I can see in a few months the success that you have, you have had. And it's not surprising for me because I know you. I've worked for you and worked with you for many years. So I know 
you could, you know, this is a good achievement and I can only wish you more and more and more. I really appreciate it, Andre. From the thanks bottom of the heart. Thank you. Thank you, Andre. I appreciate it. And thanks to the audience for tuning in for this version of our podcast, for this episode of our podcast and YouTube channel video. Please subscribe. Please consider subscribing. It doesn't cost you much. And also, please follow us on LinkedIn and all of our social media. And by the way, we're producing TikTok videos now. I didn't know I didn't know that this is a channel that I can use. So we've been producing short videos for TikTok, and they're available as well. If you're on TikTok, please follow us and the variety of other channels that we're on. Thanks again for everybody, and we'll see you next episode. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Localization Fireside Chat. Take the warmth of knowledge and renewed cultural passion with you. Keep exploring, stay curious, and until next time, this is Robin Ayu. Keep those global conversations alive.